out of Ephesians 4. Today, I'm going to be talking about a picture of you, of, of new. Instead of a picture of you, this is a picture of the new you, okay? So, so we scratched out you, it's the picture of the new. This is, last week we talked about the fact that we put aside our old self and all things are made new. Now, uh, Janice and I went to the, to the convention and uh, our, her, her mom has a timeshare deal thing. And so we used that to, to go because it was a lot cheaper. It, we didn't have to pay a high rate. But it also meant we got a really nice place to stay. And I mean, it was really, really nice. I mean, way beyond what I'm used to, really. And uh, we went to leave, and we wanted to make sure we didn't forget anything uh, in, in Arizona. The last time we were in Arizona, our children were little, like the time. That time's uh, 23 years old. My oldest daughter made that. She was four. Anyway, um, this happy Father's Day, guys. Just remember every night, so we could applause. Uh, let, let's pray for our dads and men who want to be fathers. Maybe God had blessed them yet, or, or, or they, they're not even married yet. One day, God, they will be fathers. Let's, let's pray for, for our dads. Father God, we thank you for the fathers you gave us. Lord, we thank you for the fathers that are parts of this church. And we pray, God, that we would be <clears throat> men of God, that we would be fathers that lead our children in discipline and nurture and admonition. And the Lord, they would follow our example. That we would, we would be the kind of men we want our sons to be. And that God, we would be helping them to do that. We ask that from a sincere heart. You help our sons to be better than us. As you make them more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that we'll be more like Jesus. And Jesus, we ask that you would bless our children, our sons and our daughters. And may they grow up. Preach your word to all the nations. For Lord, this is the whole reason you left us here. And God, may our children be used by you to spread the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyway, so I'm sorry, I, I meant to do that early on. Last time we were in Arizona, that's what made me think of it. Our daughter left her favorite doll there, and they had mail to it, and they did. But we went to leave, so Janice looked under the bed to make sure we didn't forget anything, like took something off and kicked under the bed, a pair of shoes or something. And she found this card under the bed. This is how nice this hotel is. She thought somebody dropped the card and got kicked under the bed. She pulled it out and it says, yes, we clean under here too. <laughs> I said, I need that card. Let me have that for Sunday morning. Because when Jesus comes in and makes us brand new, he doesn't clean up part of us. He cleans up all of us. Amen. He's not making us better. He's making us new. And you've got to remember that concept we talked about last week. You've got to keep that in mind. The old has passed away. We, we, have, we have secular sayings like, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. But when you turn over a rotten leaf, guess what? It's still rotten. Amen. It's rotten on both sides. What, what God wants to do is make a brand new book, okay? He wants to make a brand new thing out of what you were. He wants to kill that and make you brand new. Uh, a, a pastor friend of mine, he said when he used to do marriage counseling, especially when uh, it was the wife and the husband uh, was not saved and there was, they were having difficulty and that always caused difficulty. He, would, he said he would look at the man and say, what your wife needs is a new husband. In the same skin. 
That phrase stuck with me because that's what God does for us. He makes us a brand new person in the same skin. And so people look at us and go, well, I know you. I know what you're like. No, you don't. You don't know what God is making me to become. And so I want you to see, that, remember this phrase. We'll read the scripture after we see that. Can you go to that slide, friend, where the, where the phrase is? Very first one after scripture. There it is. No, that isn't it. Good. Right there. When God makes a new man, he enables him to live like new, to live new. Okay? When God makes a new man, he enables him to live new. You see, the Christian life is beyond any of our power to do. You follow me? Because to live the Christian life is to totally empty yourself of self. You have to let go of everything. You have to be totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. But when you do that, He enables you to live the new life. And in case you think that's some new concept, it really is not. What I have just described for you is part of the definition of the word grace. The enabling of God is grace. Grace is not only God's riches at Christ's expense, it's God's righteousness at Christ's enabling. Last week, I talked about righteousness and holiness, and here's how they're different. Righteousness is is my actions to my fellow men. Holiness is my relationship with God. Okay? And, and, and I hope that will help you. The only one who is perfectly righteous and perfectly holy, of course, is God. Or Jesus in the flesh when He came. He is God in the flesh. So Jesus is the example of righteousness and holiness. How He related to men and how He relates to God. Which is the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your mind. With all your... Oh, does it take strength to dance? Just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> and the second is like it. Love your... So we have a holy relationship with God because He makes us holy. And then we have a righteous relationship with other people. As we live the new life, which is what he's going to describe. We're going to see five things that Paul says identifies that new life. So if you want to stand up with me, we're going to read... Those verses, I have never preached in a stadium before. <laughs> Chad said, but I was filming this to make it look like I'm preaching in a stadium. But, um, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 25, here's what it says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. That was two. Three, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Number four, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and, find, uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then five... Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, that's the thing to do. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So let's pray. Father, again, we step into your presence in the name of Jesus. And his authority, Lord, indeed, this has been prayed. And it's so real and so true. Lord, what an awesome responsibility you've laid before me. I pray that it would truly be awesome, that it would... Cause us to be in awe of you, that we would worship you, that your words would speak to us. 
Lord, uh, even this morning in our prayer time here at the church, we're reminded that, uh, that Lord, our words matter, and your word matters the most, and that Jesus is the word, and he is God's final word. And so, Lord, help us to hear your word, help us to apply your word, help us to live your word, help us to know your word. Father, may we hear you, and even as the songwriter wrote, word of God, speak, and let it pour down like rain on your people today. Lord, may we be empty of self, that we might be filled by you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all be seated. <clears throat> Do you think it's strange that we should be different as Christians? Do you think it's strange that we should change when God saves us? So many people come and say they're saved, but their life never changes. Why are, why are so many churches not growing? And why is the church that is growing... So many times we're shifting sheep from one pasture to another instead of leading new people to Christ. Well, many things can cause that and are causing that, but among them is the Christian himself because we don't live like a changed man. We want Jesus more for fire insurance than we do for radical life-altering power. Right? right? I mean, you think about it. I, when I was a kid, I know in Virginia, uh, you know, you, you're not supposed to have fireworks. So maybe, maybe you grew up in Virginia, but where I grew up, it was every man for himself. <laughs> and as a little kid, my parents would buy firecrackers and let me have them. And I was a kid, and I'd load them myself and everything else. But we'd get those little army men, and we'd take three of them and twist the thing together. <laughs> Boom! You know, to see what they'd do. Can you imagine putting a stick of dynamite? And one of your wife's bases and lightning, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to do more than bust the base, isn't it? Right? You know what the Bible describes us as as Christians? Having the glory of God in a clay pot. In Romans 8, it says, The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I just, I can't get victory. I can't, I just can't do it. Wait. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in your clay vessel, your skin, your clay pot. Man, when that goes off, it's going to bust the pot. Right? It's more strong, it's more powerful than dynamite. The power of God resides in you as an individual, but in the church as a body. So there is nothing that the church can't accomplish in God's will, right? Or, let me say it another way, when God lets us know His will, we can accomplish it. Amen. Now, I know sometimes you go, well, I don't know how we're going to accomplish it. I understand that. Here's a great question to ask. Well, if we could do it, how would we? That's a great question. Because a lot of times people, oh, you can't do that. Okay, I'll agree with you. You can't do that that way. But there's always a third gear. Sorry, I'm shifting in the truck there. <laughs> there's always, every time I say third gear, I do that. I don't know why. But there's always a third gear. There's always a way to accomplish what God calls us to accomplish. Or God's even told us to do it. God is not a, 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 a cosmic joker. He's not up there laughing at our struggle. He calls us, and many times He calls us to a struggle. But He does that so we'll depend on Him and give Him the glory instead of take glory for ourselves. I just read the past couple of days, somebody said, oh, a, 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 a devotion that my wife and I read, and the guy said, if... If you don't have something in your life that you can't accomplish, ask God for that now. Ask God 
for something that is impossible. And I would just venture to say that living the Christian life is impossible. And so therefore we need God to do it. And, and until we access the power of God, the spirit of God, the grace of God, to live out the life of God, the world says, what's the point? Amen. Paul said, if, if heaven's not real, we're of all men most miserable. This is crazy to live this way if God's not real, if heaven's not real. And so many Christians live as if it's not real. And if it is real, then man, nothing here is worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed. Right? So what happens is we live for ourselves. And that's just part of what's in here. So let me let me quit talking about it and, and get to it. The very first thing I call this transparent lies. What he says there in the scripture, just so we're on the same page, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, the Bible says all liars will be in hell. So let me just throw that out there. You say, well, thank God I don't lie. Well, you just did. <laughs> in 1 John, and, 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 and I don't mind you turning there, because I'm going to spend just a moment there, but long enough for you to look at it. In 1 John chapter 1, there's a, a list of if we if we sin or if we haven't sinned. And, and, and it, it, here's what it says. Let me just... Read it, so I'll put stuttering. In verse 5, this is the message we are hearing proclaiming God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And by the way, <laughs> did you understand that a light bulb casts a shadow of itself? <clears throat> that the sun casts a shadow of itself, it can't help it. But, and I don't know the term, didn't look it up, but there is a term of a light that is so bright and so the way it burns that it does not cast a shadow of itself. I see scientists and Bible scholars give me the nod. I don't know what it's called. That's the word here. That's what it's saying. That God is so pure and holy and His light casts no shadow of Himself. Now it casts shadow on everything else. But it ca God casts no shadow of Himself because it's such a pure light. In Him, that's what it means. In Him is no darkness at all. In those light bulbs are darkness. Because the lights are shining, there's light coming off, but it's not perfect light. You follow me? Okay. And it's not good we didn't pay the power bill. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You see, if God is light and we're supposed to walk in the light, but we still walk in, walk in darkness, we still have our prejudices, we still have something in our life we're not overcoming, then we are lying when we say we are in the light when we're walking in darkness. God calls us to the darkness to be the light, but He doesn't call us to walk in that darkness. Jesus walked here on earth amongst the darkness, did He not? But does not the Bible say that He came to be a light to the world? Does not God, heard a preacher illustrate this way, I want to illustrate to you this way. Does he not tell us that we are a light that is set on a hill and, and no man lights a, a, a candle or a light in the house and then covers it with a basket or a bushel or a pail so they can you know that? The guy said that and then he prayed, God, as we pray to you out of our basket, out of our bushel basket. You see, all of us shine real bright in here, don't we? Or at least we want people to think we do. But we're shining inside the bushel basket in here. He didn't call us to shine in here. He called us to shine out there. You getting it? Amen. If we say we're in the light and walk in darkness, we're, we're, we're a liar. 
How do you like God calling you a liar? Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Oh, I, I, I've been made perfect. No, you haven't. I mean, you have been made perfect, but you still have sin to deal with. And then verse 9, though, but if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar in this verse 9. You call him God a liar now. But the very first point is that you can't say you're in the light and walk in darkness. And if you do, it makes you a liar. In Ephesians 4, he says, he says, put away falsehood and speak the truth with your neighbor for we're members of one another. Now understand the main meaning there is that whatever you say, let it be the truth. But I would say this, that we do not live transparent lives. Because if you ask me how's it going, I'm going to tell you fine. And we go on. And I'm not saying that every time somebody asks how you doing, you got to stop and give a litany of everything's not good. Okay? I, I get that. But so many times, we want to give an appearance that we don't struggle. I want you to look to your right. Now look to your left. Both people are terrible sinners. And somebody looked at you. Well, point that out. So don't come in here pretending like you got it. Because none of us do. None of us do. Paul said, Here's the faithful saying, Worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am. And he said that just before he died. He said that very late in his life. He said, I'm still the chief of sinners. You see, he had a realistic view of who he was in himself. But he knew in Christ, he was an apostle, and made holy, made pure. He's one gave us all this information so that we could live in it. But here's the point, is we need to live a transparent life with others. I mean, we live in a time where a, a lot of sins have begun to be accepted. We have problems, we have failures. Some of us have addictions. And so we hide it and lie about it. Instead of being honest with each other so that we can be held, but why aren't we honest? Because we know what's going to happen. Or we think we know what's going to happen. We're afraid that person's going to condemn us or tell somebody else. Which makes them a sinner because now they're gospel. And he gets to that later. Don't be a slanderer. Y'all are really quiet now all of a sudden. I'm not sure why. In my, my children's generation. See, I grew up a teetotaler. If you don't know what a teetotaler is, it means we totally only drink tea. Okay? That's the strongest thing we drink. That's the only thing I can figure. I never actually know what a teetotaler is. But in my kids' generation, it's okay to drink alcoholic beverages. And what's happening, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not even saying that right now. But here's what I do see happening, and I'll, I'll, I'll stand here right now and tell you this. I see a whole generation of kids, church kids, Christian kids, getting caught to an addiction. Two pastors that I know or know of, one I knew of, one I knew, have recently had to resign their church. They said because we began... Both of them said the same thing. I began to trust alcohol in the name of Jesus. One guy got up and he, he drank a beer in the pool, but they said, it's okay, you can drink. And he became an alcoholic. See, I, all my relatives drunk Irish Catholics. And if it weren't for whiskey, Irish would rule the world. And I'm afraid if I ever take a drink, I'll like it. 
Okay, so that, that's just me. But here's the deal. There are people in this room struggling with alcohol. Maybe they've not even taken a drink, but it's a struggle. Now, what if a guy walks up to you and goes, Brother, I need help, man. I just, ah, I need a drink. Ah, I knew a guy in South Carolina. He was a state legislator. And uh, he got caught up in a, uh, a scandal. He was going to go to jail for cocaine use and possession. And he turned the state's evidence. Uh, as we say, and so he, he blew the whistle on a bunch of guys so that he would not have to spend as much time in jail as going to jail. And he said he was on the witness stand in the courtroom, and of course the prosecuting attorney, the guy defending the other people, was just adding, like, oh, you did this, you did this, you did this. And he said, he finally exploded and said, you're right, that's what I did, and the way you're treating me makes me want to do it right now. <laughs> now that's honesty. I can tell you this. I, I said this to somebody the other day. A third of the men in this room are addicted to pornography. It's so easy on the internet. You don't have to go down to find a country store out in the boonies to buy a magazine anymore. You can look at it on your phone. In fact, uh, I, 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 some has to mention, I stopped at a booth called Covenant Eyes. And they, they have a church-wide program that we can use, and, I, and I'm going to see about doing that to help us out. By the way, there's another third of the men in here that look at it occasionally. Statistically, 9 out of 10 men lust for women. The 10th one's lusting for the other none. Because all men lust. Don't sit there and go, well, I don't think I've done that. Now you're a liar. You're not a man. You don't have a red blood. You don't have the, you don't have the nature of Adam. You were born in perfection. Because God created men to see things and go after them. That's why we are hunters. And so we hunt for everything. We go after them. And so it takes the righteousness of God to be committed to one woman for a lifetime. You follow me? And so men, for whatever the reasons, they have, have this problem. It, and, and all the ladies go, that's right, preacher, you get off. <laughs> you Christian romance novel reader. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I said something. <laughs> now, that's just a couple things I named. I, I, you know, indulgence in our appetites, just overdoing anything, having a bad attitude. I don't like the way you're preaching. See, that's your problem right there. <laughs> I don't like it either, but I kind of do it. But that's what God asked me to do. So you can have that problem. Or you can be off of some weird thing. I mean, I, I hear religious weirdness all the time. It doesn't have to be warming those of a total witness, and they could be under the umbrella of, of legitimate Christianity. And I hear really, I go, what in the world are you saying, man? If you've never read the Bible, it's crazy some stuff you hear. And so any of these can. We can have a struggle with them. We have a problem with them. And if we can't live as a new man, when we go, oh, man, what was I doing? I don't know if you've ever dieted before. I, 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 I've, many times I've, I've not done it. Like, as I, as I told you, if I like it, I'm going to do it. And I like coffee. It's so not a lot. And when my wife was pregnant with our first child, who's now 27, uh, that's when doctors mistakenly thought the caffeine was bad for you and for a pregnant woman. My granddaughter was born a pound and a half, 15 inches long, and they gave her caffeine intravenously. So it can't be too bad for her. At a pound and a half, they kept her breathing with that. 
and you see her running around. She's three now. She looks really but, but here's the deal. She said, I can't drink caffeine. I'm pregnant. I'm like, honey, don't believe that. God made coffee beans and made them for your enjoyment. <laughs> it's okay. She said, no, no, no. We're going to decaf. I said, all right. So I quit drinking caffeine. She bought decaf, which cost two, three, four times as much. And I drank just as much coffee because I like it. <laughs> and she went, this is killing us. I thought you would slow down when it was decaf. I said, I don't drink for the caffeine. I drink for the coffee. So she said, okay, well, I can caffeinate for you. Well, here, here, here's my point. So, but there are times when it was like, man, coffee was going to get a headache. So, so I just quit. And I quit for a month. And I said, okay, I'm going to quit. Because I don't want my body to be addicted to anything that's not God. I got to a point where I couldn't control my eating. I would stop by Burger King to get a hamburger on the way home to eat supper. Because I can eat, I don't have an off button when it comes to eating. And, and I can be gluttonous. And so I gained a bunch of weight one time because I was in physical therapy with my shoulders and they hurt. If you got a shoulder issue, that, that's pretty painful. I know ladies, and I was about to have a baby. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but it hurts. Every time I survived therapy, I stopped and got up. <laughs> and I gained 40 pounds. So I fasted nothing for 40 days. I thought you were diabetic. I am. But there's something spiritual about fasting. Science knows not of. And so I did this about 40 days without eating. You know what I learned? You don't have to eat to live. You especially don't have to eat like an American to live. And that's why Jesus said, it's not about the bread. Man shall live everywhere received on the mouth of God. And so what you find out when you do that, when you quit eating, you find out all of a sudden the stuff you used to love, fish <coughs> food donuts and <coughs> banana moon pies, ugh, it tasted horrible. I, I, I didn't mean to take a long time to get to this point. I, I kind of went around Bob Lynn's barn, but now you're listening to me, so it's good. When you start living like the new man, you go, what was I thinking? Oh, goodness. And all of a sudden, it's very ugly and dirty. But just on the food illustration alone, just a bite won't hurt me. And then it might not even taste good at first, but there's that pull to it. And then you'll do it again. See, the problem with dieting is you think about food more than you don't. The secret of dieting is not caring. That's the advice I ever got on diet from my son. As I started that 40-day fast, I said, Dad, just because you're hungry doesn't mean you have to eat. It's the best advice you ever get. But I'm hungry. So what? Tell your body to shut up. <laughs> Literally. He said, I don't have to eat. I'll drink a glass of water, feel fine, keep going. That's all you got to do. Anyway, this isn't a dieting class. I'll stop. But I just want you to understand, we need to live transparent lives. But I need to go... <coughs> Brad, man, listen, I've been struggling. You know, my wife had to check in my computer and I've been watching something. And not be scared, Brad, to run off to you and go, hey, you know what the pastor told me? See what I'm saying? That's why we can't live those transparent lives, because we're a bunch of gossips. We'd rather see somebody fall than lift somebody up, which we're going to come to, so let me get to it. But uh, the new man all live a transparent life. Before I leave that, I wanted to illustrate this this way. And, and I just want to tell you this. I follow um, a man named Chuck Wallace. 
He is Dr. Chuck Wallace. He is the head of all doctoral studies at Southeastern Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. You with me? I know him. He knows my name. If he saw me, he called me by name. I, I know him. And on, and every day he puts out a blog and a devotion. And on there he said the other day how much, as a young man, he struggled with an issue and that it's still a struggle today. And he put it out there for the world to see. Living a transparent life. He's not doing it, but he's saying it can be a struggle. So these are the things I do to make sure it doesn't become an uncomfortable struggle. Is the power of God enough? Absolutely. But God sometimes sent you a robot to rescue you from the flood, right? He can supernaturally carry you through the air somewhere, but sometimes he gives you a robot to get in. So why did God just kind of float me away? Well, he did, in a robot. Get in the boat, man. God gives us tools to do what he wants us to do, right? Don't despise that God might use some human uh, 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 facilities to help you overcome something. And, and, and listen, people... You know, they need counseling, they come to pastors like myself, and then you think that I walk around looking at you in a condemnatory way. Let me just, let me assure you something. When you walk out of my presence, I forgot what you told me. Because if I carried around what everybody did all the time, I wouldn't have room for anything good in there. I don't really care about what you did. I care about helping you not do it. <coughs> so I don't walk around And so, I'm just letting you know that if you need to talk to me, you can trust me on that. That, that That's how it is. But we don't be able to trust each other like that, right? As a new man, I need to be transparent. But as a new man, you need to be faithful. And we can go into the deep thing about that. Let me go to the second one. There is a righteous anger. He says, and by the way, because we're members of one another. That, that's why we need to be transparent. Because if I bring a cold home, Oh, you need to that application. And my wife comes running up to kiss me, and she does every day when I go home. <laughs> I would step back on, honey, don't, I've got a cold. I don't want to infect her. Get it? I couldn't even go, I'm an infection in the body. Here's my problem. Would you pray with me and help me overcome it so we don't hurt the body? Amen. Now do you get it? Oh, get it. Thank God. All right, second. Righteous anger. I love this one. Be angry. Let's just stop there. And sin not. He didn't tell you not to be angry. He said, be angry, but don't sin. There is a way you can sin with anger and a way you cannot sin with anger. Let me read the whole thing. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There's a righteous anger. Righteous anger leads to righteous deeds. When you are angry at sin, when you hate sin, in, in, in uh, Psalm 69.9, those who love God have to hate sin. Did you know that? You can't love God and love sin at the same time. So you've got to hate sin. You've got to be angry at sin. And when I... Folks, I don't know if you know it or not, but you live in one of the major regions for the sex trade. Where they kidnap young girls and young women... And, and put them into sex trafficking. You live there. There's drug addiction. Like crazy. 
around us. There's terrorism around us. And if you don't get angry at the results of those activities, then you will never help those who are caught in it. You don't have to be mad at the people. You've got to be mad at what Satan's doing in people's lives. And we've got to be angry at sin so we can live righteously before God. Because if you just go, ah, it's not my business, it doesn't affect me. Have you ever noticed how things, really, people jump on them and it affects them? It's just human nature. I'm not condemning anybody for that. I, I have a friend and their grandchild just found out she's three years old, the grandchild. Just found out she's diabetic. So guess what's all over her Facebook? Give to the American Diabetic Foundation. Pray for a cure for diabetes. Why? Because now she's concerned. Well, God calls us to look at the world and care about the world with His. He wants to look at the world through His eyes. So we need to have a righteous anger toward sin. This anger is a deep-seated, determined, and settled condition. So he says be angry. He doesn't want you to be angry in a selfish way. Oh, well, they just made me angry. They just made me so mad. No, they didn't. I'm going to make a statement some of you don't believe. Nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you mad. Unless you give them the power to do so. Your attitude toward people's actions is your attitude. They don't own your attitude. Your attitude is yours. But the Bible says it's quit having that attitude in a wrong way, a selfish way. I'm offended. They didn't do it my way. Leave me alone. They made me sit over here. Some of us in my seat. I don't like the way we're doing Bible stories. Just always full of it. Full of an ungodly anger, an unrighteous anger. And so he says, be angry, but don't sin. So many times we've applied this like in marriage. That's, that's the only place we ever apply it. Well, now, if you and your wife have a fight, you get settled before you go to sleep. My wife told me that day, said, honey, I've lied to you all our life. Many nights I've been in bed. Very angry. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you tell me that? Yeah, she did. She, she, she's transparent. Unrighteous anger is self-serving. And so you need to deal with it quickly. When you're angry at somebody, get over it. Get over yourself. <coughs> Just get over it. Because it doesn't help. But if there's a sin, Jesus had a righteous anger. People always say, oh, we need to be Christ-like. That means we need to bind nine cords together and run unrighteous religious people out of the church. And know what he did? They were taking band of people, and we all get whipped after some folks. That'd be Christ-like. Oh, now some of y'all are very confused, aren't you? <laughs> y'all go, wait, can I amen? I don't know. Should I? I'm not sure. <laughs> See, he had a pure, righteous anger. He was angry when people blasphemed his father. He was angry when people did not live what God commanded us to live. Our name was perfect. No, of course not. But when you find yourself angry, you need to deal with that. And if you don't get rid of it before the sun goes down, if you live with it, it becomes a deep-seated resentment. So that you don't know what to do with it. And one day you're going to be in a shopping center in traffic. It's going to be really ticked off and going to explode. And you've got to let go of that. See, some psychologists and, some, and psychological theory, a lot of parents bought into this is, well, they just need to get it out of their system. Anger breeds anger. 
If you act happy, you'll get more angry. Amen. What you feed is what you become. So if you feed your anger, you just get more angry. And so you got to let go of the anger so that you can live a righteous life. And so he says, deal with it. You can be angry, but be angry about the right thing for the right reason in the right way. Let go of that unrighteous anger is what he's telling us. And what does it say? And don't say, don't let sun go down and give no opportunity to the devil. That's the result of not dealing with anger. You've opened a door. Satan never walks by an open door. You have to turn in. He never walks by an empty lot. You have to stop and build a playground lot. And anger is an open door and an empty lot in your life. You've got to deal with it holy, in a holy way. God, if this anger is not righteous, you can have it. I, I, I give up my right to resent and everything else. It's yours. Because you can choose not to be angry because it's an emotion and you can choose your emotions. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so they have something to share with anyone in need. A person becomes a generous contributor. You see, when we steal, it, it's based in lust and covetousness and laziness. I don't want to work for it. I don't want to earn it. I want what you got. I'm going to take it. it. It's a selfish thing. Again, we should give away. We should keep what we need to live and give away the rest. The Bible says an act is more blessed to than to receive. God calls us to give. So what is the limit of our giving? I don't know. Look at Jesus. Because he's our example. What was the limit of his giving? Oh yeah, he loved him to a cross. And he gave his life for us. So what could God ask you that's too much to give away? What could God ask you to surrender, including your life, that is too much to give away? See, when I say that, to give away your life, people think, oh yeah, you mean like if, if I went on a mission trip or something and we got captured by terrorists and they put a gun in my head so either renounce Christ or die that I should be willing to die. And that's not what I meant at all. What I meant is when you give up your selfish desire for yourself to give to your wife, to give to your children, to give to your church, to give to your job. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. And so, our death, we, I'm already dead. I can't die again. You put a gun in my head, you're not going to kill me. You're just going to fire off the moving van. So, what does it matter? Only thing that matters is I do the will of God. And he says here, if you're a thief, don't steal anymore. Work so that you have something to give away. And what happens? When you start doing that, when you start working and giving away to others... Wow, it's that you, you get this new thing, you get this understanding of what God did for us, and you want to give more. Again, action breeds action. The more you give, the more you want to give. If you look at Malachi 3, God says you're a thief when you don't give the tithe. And here's some information for you. Everybody in this room does not give 10% of their income to the Lord. Not everybody in this room. Some people do. Not everybody in this room gives 10% of their income to the Lord. Which is a great place to start, a a place to stop. Because God wants us to give everything we don't need away. I, I tell you, we went to this timeshare. And we went, we wanted, we, 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 we stayed away an extra day, or two days actually. 
And so we went to Sedona, Arizona, which is a lot more beautiful than Phoenix. Phoenix is hot, dry, and flat. Sedona actually has some vegetation in there. And we saw this Jeep tour. Let's try that. So we stopped in, $100 a person. So after I woke up, um, <laughs> the guy said, would you like to do it for $40 for both of them? I said, how? I said, you got to listen to a two-hour presentation. You're on. <laughs> so it, it happened to be connected with the resort where we were staying, which we didn't know, though, we didn't need to sign. So the next night, we set up a time, the next night, so we go into the dance going, now you be the strong one, don't make me the bad guy this time. Because I'm the weak one, I'm like, that sounds great, let's do it. And I said, okay, so we went in, we were going to say no. I so appreciate that presentation, I really did. The guy got up and said, listen, we're here to make money on you. I'm like, good, I like you already, at least you're honest. He said, if you do what, if you use everything we give you, we're going to lose money on you, especially if you say no. But let me just tell you something. When it comes to that time, later on they're going to flip over a, a, an amount to you, and you're going to have to decide. If you can't do it, just say no. And if you make an excuse, we're going to destroy your excuse because we know how to do that. He said, say no. You can walk away. We'll wipe your hands and give you the vacation. You can have fun. He said, but I hope you say yes. So I went in to say no, and they made it so good. <laughs> <laughs> and we felt that tremor. I finally figured it out, though. You're buying points, and they're taking your money to make interest. If you just save your money, you can buy it yourself and cost you less. People up here, I've been in line at the 7-Eleven. Did you want a lottery ticket? No, I passed them out in high school. Thank you. <laughs> Take that money and invest it. But I looked at Janice in the middle of all that, and I'm, I'm saying that in a little bit of humorous way, even though I did say all those things. I, I, I looked at Janice and I said, here's my bottom line. Do we want to get these thousands of dollars for ourselves to take vacations? Do we want to give them to missions? Because it's coming today when I stand before God and I don't want to stand there and go, oh, all those resources you gave me, I spent this much on me. Don't let the thief keep stealing. Let him now work and give. Right? That's a good thing to do. So you can have stuff to share with anybody in need. Number, uh, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The only such is good for the building up as fits the occasion that make it grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Here, Paul is letting us know that we need to be a people builder. That word, unwholesome word, is a word that used for rotten food. We have trouble with our tongue. James 3 says the fire can't be contained. It's, it's, a, it's a bad thing. Psalm 141 uh, tells us uh, how to use our, our lips in Matthew 12. Jesus talks about it as well. Um, but we should not have any unwholesome word, but only that which fills up. Well, what's unwholesome? Well, of course, jesting, uh, you know, telling dirty jokes or shattered jokes or shady jokes, uh, uh, saying something hurtful or sarcastic. Sometimes, I mean... Really good friends can be sarcastic with each other. You know, they come to the point where you go, you really think that? Where I hurt somebody's feelings. Don't do that. He says, only use words that build up. According to the need of the moment. Notice that. Don't be, don't have this corrupting talk. 
But only such as is good for the building up as it fits the occasion. <laughs> Somebody is in distress, give a fitting word. Encourage them. Help them. It builds up the body. But notice this. That may give grace. It may give that strength to those in here. Because to not do that is to bring the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And if they're your brother, the Holy Spirit lives in them. Brother or sister, right? Or your children. Are your children growing up just hearing how they're failures? I'm, listen, I, I'm the least positive guy in that way in this room. You know, as I said, my, my son came home with straight A's one time, and his sister said, well, at our house that stands for, and that's the best you can do. <laughs> so I realized that I've never been a little hard on them, but it's okay, they're fine. <laughs> You know, somebody does a good job. I, I hate it when I, I don't like the rule in the NFL that you can't dance in the end zone or whatever it is. You know, man, when I was coming along, they spiked the ball, they did all kinds of crazy dance. That was fun, that was exciting. But I hated it when they did it. I like, dude, they paid you ten million dollars to do that. Get over it, go do it again. Especially with my team. It's like, good, you finally did your job, do it again. And so I kind of have that attitude, you did a good job, well, duh, that's what you're supposed to do, right? God is very gracious to us, and God's had to teach me to be a more thankful person than I am more thankful than what I just described. But, 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 note, but notice this, that we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't build people up. When we just tear them down, we, God built me to see the problem and then try to fix it. He did not build me to just be the positive God. So I walk in, I'm looking at what's wrong, not what's right. Which is very bad when you're married and have children. It's very bad when you're a pastor. You've got to be very careful. So I've learned to be careful how I express things. I try to express them positively. But that's a negative. And so I've had to learn not to let corrupting talk in mouth, but let encouraging talk in Not why didn't you do this or why did you do it that way, but hey, can we consider doing it this way? Or if I was thinking this might be a good idea, can you help me? Get it? We're supposed to be helping each other, building each other up instead of tearing each other down. And then this kind of goes in the same vein, but it just takes it even further. You need to be a gracious forgiver. A gracious forgiver. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let me just stop and give a quick definition. Bitterness is a smoldering resentment, a brooding, a grudge. Grudge-filled attitude. It's a spirit of perpetual animosity. Wrath is wild rage. It's passion of the moment. Anger is an internal smoldering. It's that thing I was talking about earlier. Clamor is a shout or an exclamation of strife, a public outcry, a loss of control. We saw a lot of clamor surrounding the last election, and we still see it going on. Now, when you see clamor, and God says that's a sin, who's the father of sin? Just saying. Slander, somebody in a church meeting jumps up and starts shouting. That is not a God. It is not. Slander, that's blasphemy. It's an ongoing defamation rising from a bitter heart. When you let that bitterness set in, and you just keep talking and keep talking and keep... You know, sometimes we decide somebody's just bad and we want everyone to be good. And malice 
is just a general <laughs> term for evil. He says, put all that aside so that what? You can be kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Here's, here's the problem. A lot of people don't understand what forgiveness is. They don't understand what forgiveness means. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is you giving up your legitimate, personal right for revenge. Did you hear what I said? Legitimate right to revenge. And when you let go of that, you forget it. In other words, you may deserve for me to choke the life out of you, but I'm not going to do it. I heard Jerry Clower say that. It was on an album, I think. I guess you heard some album. So he was in a football game, and his son was playing, and his son's team was beating the pants off the other team. And his son was the kicker, and after a particular touchdown, he missed, he missed the extra point of the field goal, whatever it was. And the guy in front of him called him a name, called him an idiot. Yeah, you missed an idiot. He said he felt his wife's hand on his knee. He said, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. He said, I'm not going to hurt him. <laughs> and he went down there and he said, sir. Why did you just call my son an idiot? He said, he made me miss my bet. I had bet for a certain number of points to win. And because he missed that, I didn't, I didn't make my bet. He said, sir, it's bad enough to bet, bet on horse flesh, but you bet on human flesh. You're dumber than what you call him. He said, but let me just thank you for letting me know I'm a Christian, that I'm saved. Because if I were I'd grab you by the throat and drag you around that field down there right now. <laughs> the fact I'm not doing it lets me know that Jesus has changed my life. <laughs> That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not giving up that personal right. I used to think forgiveness meant to forget. Did you know God made your mind so you cannot forget? If you touch the right cell in your mind, you can remember being born. You cannot forget. It is about only God can forget. God says, I forget your sin. Remember them no more. He literally does. You go to God and confess the sin twice. Second time he goes, what? Because he's forgot. That's what he said he would do. He remembers it no more. But we can't forget. Somebody hurts us. We want to grudge. We get bitter. We start acting in anger and wrath and malice. He says, let that go. And tenderheartedly forgive one another. In Matthew, Jesus taught this through a parable. And the parable is in Matthew 18. The parable, this fellow owed, and I'm going to make up American numbers because I don't remember the parable, number one, the numbers in it, and it doesn't mean anything else. But a guy goes, a man calls a man in, and he says, pay your debt or go to jail. Because back then, if you didn't pay your debt, you went to debtor's prison, which you either stayed in prison to your family or you paid it, or you had to work with an indentured service if you paid it off. And so the guy comes in and he owes him a million dollars to pay him a million. And he says, now a million dollars in your way. He's all right, off to jail. He goes, please, 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 please have mercy on me. I, I, I will try to pay this back. I just, don't take me from my family. Give me the opportunity. And the guy says, you know what? I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to forgive the debt. You're free. Go your way. God walks out the door. He sees the guy walking down the street. He owes him $10. He grabs it and says, give me the $10 you owe me. God said, now I'll have $10 right now. I'll get it to you. He goes, no, you're going to prison. Oh, please don't throw me in prison. Give me an opportunity. I'll get you the money. No. And he puts him in prison for owing him $10. Then the first guy heard what the guy did that he forgave. So he goes back and says, I'm reading this all in the debt. You're going to prison. And then, God, then Jesus said, so you ought to forgive other people. 
because God's forgiven you and afraid of death. It always kills me how forgiving people won't forgive others. And here's what's different. You're not perfect, and neither am I. I don't even want to call you a sinner because you're saved. But, but you still have to struggle with sin because we've learned in Romans 7, sin still lives with us. I expect you to mess up. I expect you to owe me. I expect you to try to hurt my feelings or hate me or say something bad about me or just be mad at me about something. I don't actually expect you to do that. But you know what I mean. I don't really have this idea. And, and if you sin against me, you just sin against another sinner. I mean, who am I that i got to hold you to perfection when I can't live it in myself? But when you sin against God, you sin against a thrice holy God. He's perfect in His holiness. He said, I have pure eyes of even to look at sin. You see, people say, oh, he's a good boy. I don't think God would send him to hell. No, it's a miracle. God doesn't send everybody to hell. Amen. We all deserve it. And when you sin against a holy God, who can demand everything, including every atom of my body at any given moment, that it all belongs to him who created it all. It's his. It's his to do with as he wills. And I sin against that holy God. That, my friend, is unforgivable. And yet God, in his great mercy and grace, put on flesh and dwelt among us. And went to a cross and died for our sin. Now, what is somebody going to do to you that's worse than what we did to God? Nobody. It's interesting when the disciples said, Teach us to pray, and he gave them the Lord's Prayer. Out of all the things he talked about, worship and holiness of God, and God being a Father, and all these great things, and immediately, if you read it in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Amen, because if you don't forgive others their sin against you, your Father never will forgive you your sin. Amen. The first thing he talked about out of the Lord's Prayer was how we forgive So I think it's pretty important to Jesus. Because we can't live as a family if we can't forgive. Because in a family this large, or in a family of two, somebody's going to offend somebody. Period. No question to ask. But guess what? You're just as bad as the one that offended you. So why don't you just forgive each other and get on with it? That's what he's saying. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Knowing that God in Christ is forgiving you. You're not the standard of holiness and righteousness. Jesus is. And Jesus went to the cross for our sin. That's how much he forgave us. He who knew so said, we sang the scripture verse out of 2 Corinthians. Out there today. He became sin who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in the verse says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Well, how can we do something this this week? I, I got three things I want to show you. I think they're good, so I really want you to catch this. I know it's hard to read up here. This week, evaluate your life in the light of these principal changes. I've given you kind of a different wording so you can kind of catch the five things there. And just, I hope you took some notes. Go home and look at those five things. Or just, if you didn't take notes, just read that passage. And say, Lord, where am I in living a transparent life? Am I honest with you? 
my mate, my spouse? Am I honest with people I work with? Am I honest with my friends? Am I honest with, 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 with others? Because, by the way, just being honest doesn't mean you've got to say everything. But when the time is right, be honest. You follow that? I, I, I meant to say that earlier. That doesn't mean you've got to walk out some way. Oh, i got to tell you this because I'm really not doing things right. And I just want to tell everybody I'm not doing things right. No, don't do that. But when the time is right, the right person, you need to be honest about it. So, so just go to God and, and, and look at that. Am I, am I being living that transparent life? Ha, have I quit lying? Am I unrighteously angry? Am I just mad at everybody? Do I give away? Am I a contributor? Do I build others up around me or do they go, oh no, I don't want to be around that guy? Or do I encourage people and, and help them out? And do you just forgive people for offenses? Well, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that. Do a Bible study in your weakest area and decide what's one thing you will do differently because of what you want. Now here, when I say that, there's a picture up there and you can't see it. That's up there. That is a picture of a strong concordance. If you've got a cell phone, I'm not going to ask you to pull it out right now. Go to the app store and look up Strong's Strong Concordance. Every word in the King James Bible. I know it's King James, but that's okay. You can still do it. Every word in the King James Bible is in Strong's Concordance with every time in the Bible it appears. So you can download the app for free or go ahead and buy the little bit better one. Is not that much. Or go buy a volume of it at a bookstore or used bookstore because everybody's doing it on their online now. But I have one or two in my office in book form. But I have it on my phone. And, and I was having a struggle last year. And I just could not get over a certain thing I knew was ungodly and not what God wanted, but I couldn't get over it. And so I just told everybody at work one day, I said, I need alone time. I shut the door. I spent five hours. And what I did is I took a strong concordance and I looked up the word that defined my struggle every time it appeared in the Bible and I wrote it out and I read it. And then in the midst of all of that context, I found the one that I needed and helped me get past that problem. So look at those five things. Because at least one of them is probably a struggle for Get your strong concordance. You can get it free on your phone. Get it free on your computer. You can spend a, bit, a little bit and get a better one. And enter that word and read every verse that has that word in it. It says, that ain't you do Bible study preacher. That's one way. And I've done that more than once. That's a good way to do it. Because here's the deal. Half of the verses may not be meaning what it is you're looking for, but the word happens to be in there. That's okay. You read. You still get something out of it. It's still God's word, right? But you'll find some verses that speak exactly to your need. Then you do the third thing. After you decide what you're going to do differently, where you find your life lacking, Paul and Jesus is gracious enough to enable you to live his life through you. Because it's not about us, it's about him. You can't do it, but he can. He lives in you. The power of the great Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so the Holy Spirit will enable you to live that life out. So you go to Jesus. So may your Holy Spirit fill me to live a forgiving lifestyle, not to be a poser, to, to give to people, not to have this bad attitude all the time. You, you can just go to God. Help me to be encouraging to people. And God will help you in that area. Okay? Y'all follow? What would it look like if everybody in our church did that? What would it look like next week if everybody in here came in here and went, man, I did that? 
And this week I decided that there's this person at work and they get on my nerves. And I decided two things. Number one, I wasn't going to be angry at them. Number two, I was trying to hurt you. You might start finding out they're acting like that because they have a need for Jesus. Amen. And your anger has kept you from telling them about Jesus. I'll tell you about our friend at Calvary Evangelical. She was very smart. She was resentful. And she was angry. And she and Janice started being friends and talking. And one night, with her knowledge, I was listening to their conversation on speaking tonight. And God just put it in my heart. Now that I'm not smart, God just put it in my heart. And I said, just called her name. I said, stop. You need to let go of your bitterness. And she said, what did you say? I said, you're bitter. Everything you're talking, you're angry, you're mad, you're angry about something. You're bitter. Let go of your bitterness. I thought it ticked her off until she came back the next Sunday and said thank you because you called me on my sin it was exactly what I needed to hear you were right and I said well I said, I'm going to take credit God just kind of you know I can't even say I thought that through it just kind of popped out on me I'm glad that God did that in your life her husband that they've been praying for for 10 or more years about how many years she would say two weeks later there are people in your life that might need Christ, but they need you to be right with first. And you don't even know. I'm not saying it's going to happen to everybody every time. I'm just saying that's a possibility. What would it look like if everybody in the church decided, I'm going to be transparent? If I've got a problem, I'm going to find somebody. Listen, Don Cox is our regional church health specialist on Thursdays. He makes a phone call, or I make a phone call to him. And we're accountable. How's it going? What's going on? Where are your struggles? What's happening? Because I want somebody outside of my wife, and she can do that too, but I want somebody else that I can talk to, another man. It ought to be sex appropriate. Women to women, men to men. You ought to have somebody you can call and go, hey, I'm struggling with you can trust. Right? You need that in your life. What would it look like if we were transparent? What would it look like? If we didn't do course jesting, what would it look like if we were always encouraging each other? If we were generous and giving, if we weren't angry, if we were forgiving, what would the church look like? We might look like the church. 